mortgages can be a dry subject. So here's your oasis in the desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Burt to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience. Hi there, good morning. Welcome to the LM Experience and today it's episode 65. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Stu. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Warm? Uh, warmish. Warmish. We better get this episode out quickly because if you get it out in December, yes. people are saying what it's talking about, heatwaves for. Yeah. You won't have a clue what we're talking about. Um, uh, speaking of which, it is warm in here. Um, it's not air-conditioned, so let's, let's crack on. Our first guest today, now the word legend gets bandied around... Uh, too, far too frequently in mm-hmm. this industry, mainly by Huey Jones over at Ennis about himself. But today <laughs> is it is a, it is a mortgage legend. We're lucky to have Peter Rizard with us. Good morning, Peter. Uh, good morning, Martin. How are you? Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Now you are. It's the longest title we've had yet. You're head of intermediary business development for Investec. Is that correct? Have I said that uh, right? Yes, you said it absolutely spot on, <laughs> and uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, and it, it uses up a huge amount on the business card. But uh, Well, look, it, it's great to have you on. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't got around to inviting Peter on before, <laughs> because you are one of those characters within the industry that, that everybody knows. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm sure we'll find out in the next uh, 18 minutes. Um, but we all start at the beginning, Peter, about you. So, you know, where are you from originally, and, and what, what serious uh, unfortunate events has led you to... Uh, to be sat in this baking hot room today with me and Stu. Well, uh, interestingly, uh, my my life story is I stumbled into mortgages back in the, uh, like we most did, I I certainly didn't leave uh, college thinking, I'm going to go into the mortgage industry. (laughs) Uh, But I stumbled into mortgages in the early 90s, um, uh, and I quickly realised that uh, before mortgages, I was selling uh, life insurance and endowments, you know, Mm -hmm. wonderful endowments. Before? Uh, Scottish Amicable. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, good, great company. And uh, I very quickly realised that actually if you're going to sell an endowment or you're going to sell life insurance, actually, if you can sell the mortgage, then it will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up into that. So I've been on the advice side, which yeah. I really enjoyed. Uh, and then I went into the sort of lender side, which I enjoyed even more. Uh, and I've had a varied career in both startups, um, in mainstream, mm-hmm. um, intelligent finance, Halifax. Um, in they, the, they were sort of the early challenger back. Banks, weren't they? Yeah. Standard Life, and they came out. I don't know if you were around then, Stu. Oh, I, I, was in, I was working for Halifax when it started. The 2000s, those yeah, yeah. lenders came in, didn't they? Absolutely. Um, 2000 intelligent quite well. finance launched, mm. yeah, up in Edinburgh. Uh, Offset, uh, yeah. which was um, market leading at the time. Mm. Um, and actually, ironically, I'm still a massive believer. I've got a, an offset mortgage myself uh, today. Uh, you know, if you understand it and you yeah. use it properly, it's an absolute yeah. no brainer. So yeah. Absolutely. And, and also, we do say that whenever I recommend them to a client today I always say that this is probably the last time we'll ever speak yeah. unless you want to move because once you've got an offset and once you've used it uh, well, that, that's, nowhere else that's to go. the thing isn't it it's a case of that if you've got a client who really understands like you say yeah. comes down to their understanding of it and how they can use it and financial management that's mm. the key you know if it's used properly it's a, it's it's a, it's an absolute no-brainer so you were a BDM for, for, for those lenders and, and where did you go from there uh, so from intelligent finance to uh, GMAC RFC <gasps> uh, oh dear oh. me the yeah. I'm going to yeah. guess the year about 2006. Uh, no, so joined them in 2003. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, left in 2007. Okay. Um, had Did, learned a huge <laughs> amount. Well, we learned a huge amount, but interestingly, on the timing front, I left GMAC to start off a new lender. Um, now, this was in August 2007, just Northern on the 
credit there, yeah. just before Northern Rock had gone, mm-hmm. okay, um, and with the intention to start up a new lender. Um, and we tried for four years, but you can imagine months after starting yeah. this new lender, Northern Rock swung. And when that was a UK crisis, when Lehman's went, it was a worldwide oh, crisis, yeah. you know. And try, trust me, trying to start a lender in the middle of the world economic credit crunch uh, actually proved he, fatalistic eventually. Who was that, can you say? Yeah, it was a company called Portillion. Um, the fact that we uh, it was backed launch? by no, we didn't ever get across the line. Backed by uh, Stephen Knight, who I'd worked yeah, with at private label, at G, private label yeah. and, and, and GMAC. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you know what, Martin? I learned more in those four years of not succeeding <laughs> than I'd learned in the previous twenty years. And I tell you, one thing you did is you knew uh, you absolutely just knew determination because there was no HR department, there was no uh, funding department, there was no payroll, etc. You know, there was a small group of us. Um, and you diversified, you know, because ultimately, if you weren't selling, uh, then you had to be everything else. Yeah. So my risk appetite, my risk knowledge, my compliance knowledge, you know, how to send in um, uh, a banking license application, yeah. you know, I learned all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so despite the fact we didn't ultimately launch, I learned more in those four years than, than ever before. Which is, it made me more rounded today. I think that's actually a good point. It often comes up. You can't help but... Uh, talk about uh, the credit crunch when yeah. we do our podcasts with people in the industry because yeah. it's such a pivotal moment yeah. um, but uh, and we've had Rob Jupp on here yeah. in the past and plenty of other people who've been through yeah. that yeah. And, and probably the strong message is as you've just said there Peter about, about you learn a lot more anyone can be a success in our industry in the past three or four years it wasn't particularly hard there are challenges yeah. but not particularly hard but anyone that was here pre-07 and mm. still here later yeah. on there is a but the, but point about learning I, I think for sure I mean I, I wouldn't have now had my own business if it wasn't for what happened then mm. to be honest I mean it was just a case of yeah. got made redundant in 2008 um, from an IFA firm and then it was a case of right okay nobody else is recruiting yeah. <laughs> what should we do next yeah. and, and from that sort of perspective and then massive learning curve in that front as well yeah. uh, so uh, after Portillion, was it? Yeah, so after Portillion, went into the building society sector for the I Saffron. You were say you went into building then. Yeah, uh, well, actually, believe <laughs> it or funny, funny you should say that, but uh, there was a period of about six months where um, I wasn't working at all, mm. uh, and pride took the better of me, and uh, rightly so. I actually went and worked on a building site for three months. Did you? As a labourer. Um, and um, oh, eight, you know, oh, 09, that kind yeah, of era. So, yeah, probably early yeah. 08. Um, and again, you know, a very different demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but do you know the most pleasing thing was that you know I was the posh boy on the building site. <laughs> they were all the workers, me. you know. Um, and I think there was a, a huge amount of scepticism day one. Mm. You know, he won't be the last two minutes yeah. and, and things like that. And after three months, when I left, and bearing in mind I was doing, I was taking calls on site for future job yeah, yeah. Uh, interviews, etc. You know, uh, when I left that site, um, uh, having been there for for a while, um, you know, the the, the friendship the bonds that I'd worked yeah. we were in parallel universes but we had a common togetherness that it's, we were working actually, it's you know? weird you say that because when I started my business to be honest it was a case of actually my turnover in year one was 1500 quid yeah so I had a second job doing early morning shifts at my local yeah. B&Q yeah um, so we go and it's before 6am and come out at kind of lunchtime yeah but the demographic spread 
yeah. of the guys that were all doing it, all doing it for different reasons. There were half of us who were doing it, guys who had retired, who needed the extra money to supplement their pensions. They were young guys who had just left college in between jobs and things like that. But the weird thing was, that was the thing. It all molded together. And actually, I think, to be honest, that was one of the jobs that I've done. I mean, I did it for about nine or mm. 12, nine to 12 months. But I learned so much mm. about people more than I'd done so prior to that working in big corporate companies. Yeah, there is that risk that we end up in a bubble, that yeah. white-collar bubble, yeah. and it can be quite Absolutely dangerous. And it's right. interesting to be able to, as you said, mm. different demographic. I love the idea of Peter Eisard and a high-vis jacket now. Um, still still boots and a hard hat. Yeah. What was your name yeah. at the end? Gaffer? Uh, <laughs> disappointed if it wasn't. There was a few names, I can tell you. <laughs> so None look, of right, which are repeatable well, here. Let's yeah. say we're on the up now, so yeah. after, after yeah, that... So, uh, so, uh, yeah, joined Saffron Building Society, um, set up their intermediary channel. Um, really enjoyed that. The, the building society sector in this country is an unsung hero mm. for me, um, and um, I think it makes uh, the industry richer for the experience, and the concept is, is fantastic. I love my time at the Saffron. Um, but uh, then Harrods came calling, Harrods Bank, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, when no disrespect, when, when Harrods Bank comes calling, you, you, answer. you, 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 you go. Um, without putting too much, uh, and we'll, we won't gloss over it, but we'll move on if, if we may. Uh, that didn't work out for, for many reasons. Um, uh, but again, uh, the, the, the year I was there, we launched, we successfully launched, uh, we successfully launched the intermediary channel. But um, what it... It was the entry into high net worth lending, so yeah. it, it proved very successful from that. But perhaps just say the direction they wanted to go and the direction I thought they should go was very different. Okay. Um, and Pride said to me, well, look, okay, let's shake hands and move on mm-hmm. uh, because you know I'm either signed up to this 100% Right. Or I'm not signed up to it at all, um, and you know we parted ways. Well, I, I do remember Harrods Bank coming into the market, uh, and it was quite refreshing at the time. But I think it felt to me that they they kind of played too much on the Harrods yeah. label, and you know only if you're good enough will we even answer the phone to you. Yeah. And I think if you're trying to crack the intermediary market, you've got to you you need a slightly different approach. I'll best not comment, um, <laughs> but uh, the fact I was there for for less than a year yeah. it just meant that um, you know it suited both parties. Yeah. Uh, but from there, I joined uh, Investec, um, and I think that uh, the one thing, the huge positive from Harrods, and there were some, was <laughs> that actually it got me into the high net worth sector. Mm-hmm. And once you're in the high net worth sector, it pretty much grabs you to turn around and say no disrespect to the building societies yeah. or to the GMAX or or even the mainstream lenders. But actually, this is a market that I uh, had a passion for, um, that I really enjoyed, and I thought was a huge opportunity because when I joined Investec, they didn't have an intermediary um, offering per se. They dealt with intermediaries on a on a sort of very much a, on a banker by banker sort of case. Um, and we had a clean sheet of paper. We had a fantastic brand. Uh, and the opportunity was, look, Peter, we want you to set up an intermediary channel. That's eight years ago. Um, and it was just me setting that up. Now, fast forward eight years ago, I've got a team of eight, um, all of which have been internally recruited, uh, internally trained. Most pleasingly, most of them had no uh, either mortgage experience Mm -hmm. or intermediary experience. It's only until recently that I've gone down the experienced hire route. Mm. Uh, I've just taken on my first apprentice, uh, Zolfi, who I'm really proud with because... He's in the corner. Let's wave him. Hi, Zolfi. He's in the corner, bless him, just (laughs) listening to me as he's dragged from meeting to meeting. (laughs) 
Um, but actually, I'm richer for the experience yeah. as he is, you know. Uh, so we've got a great element of diversity, youth, gender. Um, and I think my greatest passion with Investec is the amount of time I do put into my colleagues. Well, let, let, you know? let's talk about Investec because there's probably a bit of a myth about some of these yeah. private banks. And uh, Would you class yourself as a private bank or do you sit between the private bank and the high street? Because yeah. that's, that's yeah. some brokers, everyone's busy at the moment, aren't they? Mm. Uh, busy fools generally. Uh, and and yeah, they yeah. drive the drive through Tri-Gold and yeah. Mortgage Brain yeah. and they're trying to find that high street deal. But sometimes, sitting in that background, are lenders like Investec yeah. who might be able to present um, something different, a solution that we haven't thought about. And because you don't really, you haven't got the same marketing budgets of Halifax and Barclays, you probably get, it's easy to, to get forgotten about, I think, yeah. sometimes. So what, what, tell us about Investec, Peter. What is their USP? What, yeah. What's their, what are you looking for from a, a broker sure. and, a, and a client perspective? Sure. Well, I- interesting enough, uh, I think the high net worth sector, um, uh, so Investec is a private bank. Um, ironically, actually, uh, only recently, they dropped the private bank um, uh, element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we only deal with high net worth clients. And our definition of a high net worth client is similar to the uh, regulators. But we say that we'll only deal with clients whose primary income is in excess of 300,000, and whose net assets are over 3 million. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Actually, in reality, um, what's hard-coded from an intermediary perspective is the income. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't meet that income scenario, uh, we won't be able to assist you. It's pretty simple, uh, but it's very effective. Um, so first and foremost, unlike our retail compatriots, uh, we play in a specific market. But there the differences end because, uh, for want of a better word, we are experts in that sector. Because if that's all you lend to, you can do some pretty extraordinary things in that sector. And we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I suppose our biggest USP is the fact that we are known for uh, high loan-to-value lending day one on large amounts. Um, we take um, probably more income, more diversified income. We deal with more complex cases from a legal perspective, from a property perspective, from a structuring perspective, etc. But the biggest pride that we take with dealing with the intermediary sector is our speed of turnaround. Um, So we uh, don't source on sourcing systems because simply um, everything would be refer. Mm -hmm. Because our mantle is we are client-led, not Mm product-led. So, you know, can I lend to someone at 95% potentially? Okay, for the right client. What's the right client? Well, do you know what? There's no definition of the right client, um, but we know what the right client is. Mm. So our attitude is that um, effectively give us the inquiry, give us the skeleton of the case, and we'll very quickly tell you whether we can or can't help, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. We're not afraid of a quick no, and I think that makes us an intermediary friend. Uh, But we're also conversant that turns around and says that actually the majority of intermediaries deal with retail-led clients. And occasionally, they get high net worth clients. And our biggest call out to intermediaries is that whether you've dealt with us in the past or not, if you have a high net worth client that you cannot place on the high street, because inevitably, if you can place it on the high street, that's where you're best to go, both rate and fees, um, speak to us. We might give you a quick no, mm. but you might just be surprised we can give you a actual yes. And more importantly, we can come up with a structure that's quite compelling. Because simply as well, high net worths think very differently to us mere mortals. Okay, um, 
many of our friends and colleagues and compatriots, and even if you look at your parents and your grandparents, um, the day they pay off their mortgage is the proudest day of their life. Celebration, yeah? party. Mm-hmm. We finally paid off the mortgage. Yeah. You know, my husband's done 30 years with the police and his pension has just matured and he's paid off his mortgage. Hallelujah. My clients will never pay off their mortgage because debt is not a dirty word. Yeah. It's okay. a financial planning tool, isn't it? Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Start. Exactly right. Leveraging debt against their wider asset base is both tax efficient. Um, you know, if you're paying 3% on your mortgage, but you're in private equity and you're making a return of 20%, well, actually, you want to gear up as high as you possibly can because debt is still cheap relative to your return. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be v- from a business play, you, you've got huge amounts of retained profits and to draw them out will cause a tax liability. Yep. It might be a remittance basis that your money's abroad. All of these reasons, but the difference is they understand debt. They understand leverage and, and the ability. Um, and they're entrepreneurial in spirit, even not in necessarily yeah. what they do. So actually, our clients think very differently. And if they think differently, we've got to think differently. Mm. And rather than saying, well, why on earth who's someone who's got five million cash in the bank wants to borrow so much, so much? Mm. You know? Well, why don't they put down a bigger deposit? Now, that would make sense. But it wouldn't make sense if actually the five million they've got in a the bank, they want to keep four million of that back because they're just about to invest in a business or another property venture where they need instant, uh, you know, the ability to move quickly. Yeah. So it's a whole sea change. It's a different way mm-hmm. of thinking. So I think as well, it's the case of how cases can be viewed. Because I've got a client who's used Investec, was an existing um, account holder and then progressed to doing a particular structure with Investec, which was helping them when they were going to move, but then lost their buyer. Yeah. And and their whole experience, I mean, I'm still in regular contact with the clients we deal with, with other elements of um, property portfolio they've got. And he was just overwhelmed by how good the experience was from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And basically, it was a solution that nobody else pretty much could offer. Yeah. But it's suited that's, at all that's parties. That's the USP because we yeah. uh, we had Chris come in uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago um, uh, and just talked through some of the, some of the deals that they were looking at, and it kind of blows your mind yeah. a little bit when you don't realise the potential because because we're so on the high street, so restricted by that five times income and eighty percent LTV, and mm. you know it's um, you get brainwashed a little bit yeah. with that, and actually opening your eyes and seeing other business opportunities. Mm and other demographics, a different market you can work mm-hmm. in, actually is quite refreshing. Yeah. What are you seeing in that market at the moment? Are you seeing any concerns about house prices? Are you seeing any uh, liquidity issues? Because um, I'd imagine that you know that high end of the market is probably quite a good canary down the coal mine yeah. about other things within yeah. the economy possibly. Yeah. Uh, well, I think what you can see is uh, despite what what um, what uh, the, um, the, the, the markets tell you, um, we're seeing um, a very much strong demand demand for longer fixed rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's interesting. Okay. Uh, we're also seeing that, um, you know, again, clients know what they want, but they're quite particular. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to buy a very large property for your main residence, your holiday home, etc., you know, there's still a dearth of uh, limited property in that sort of sweet spot, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from that perspective, um, they also see as well, they see um, bricks and mortar as a very strong long term asset base. 
Um, so if you need somewhere to live, um, and actually, you know, and you're quite particular where you will live, um, they're not afraid of, of, of actually investing into that asset class because longer term, it's highly tax efficient. Um, and history tells you that actually over the years, you'll, you'll do very well. Um, interestingly, what, one pointer for me was the private equity sector, which is a particular area of expertise to us. Uh, we're asking for 10-year fixes last year. <laughs> okay, even before the first base rates, mm-hmm. you know, and that always is an early sign that turns around and says, you know, they've really got their finger on the pulse. Mm. Um, but knowing and predicting the future rates of, you know, the Bank of England, mm. the direction of travel sort of thing, as it were, you know, you ask 100 economists, you get 100 different answers. Yeah. 101 different answers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, th- thanks for that. It's always interesting to hear another lender's perspective away from the high street. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I think you, you you blend both together and you get a good idea as to what's kind of happening out there. But we can't talk about mortgages all the time, Peter, because it's too boring, as Quite we were right. saying earlier on. Right. So let's get, let's get to the nitty gritty. Let's talk about trains. Right, absolutely. Now well, you, very topical currently. Absolutely. You were you became a media personality a few years ago, didn't you? You were on BBC News, <sighs> yeah. Question Time, I think, maybe. I don't know. I yeah. can't remember. But um, all of the major... The major Let's talk about the fight. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I uh, I suffered on the Southern Thameslink line. So home for me is just north of Brighton. Um, and trains are never far from the news. <laughs> um, but when they went, they were the first company to, in recent times, to go out on a, on a national strike over the lack of guards and, and things like that and over nine months i was a sort of the commuter champion mm. um uh, and actually I, I remember once going on um just around the corner actually on on uh, news 24 bbc news 24 um and uh, in typical bbc fashion and they do a fantastic job they had me as a commuter um and they had the unions in as well um, but they kept us both very, very far apart. I don't know what they thought I was going to do. <laughs> we um, can guess. And actually, no, but far from it. Actually, I wanted to go on live with the unions and just turn around and say, look, I see it from your perspective. Mm. Now see it from mine. Yeah. Why don't we just have an open debate? Mm. Now, we're both grown men. We can we can deal with this. But they, they wouldn't have that. Um, but what the outcome was that eventually the train companies conceded. A pay advance was, was agreed and uh, they agreed to other practices, etc. Et but I think my biggest uh, achievement out of that, other than raising the um, the awareness from a consumer perspective, was that uh, we were, I was part of a team that rallied the government to reduce the uh, compensation threshold for a delay. Mm-hmm. So now, on any train line, anywhere in the country, if you're delayed um, by 15 minutes, you can claim. Historically, you used to have to be delayed by 30 minutes. Now, the amounts, generally speaking, are quite small, um, but it's the only way that you can protest and yeah. etc um, and if you're um, financially astute like I am well guess what I just save it for next year's uh, season so you're, to you're, get you're a real consumer champion which anyone listening in if they've got any problems or, or, or issues with contracts call in Peter Rizard will pick up the mantle. <laughs> you like a campaign, but it sounds a bit Peter. So over well, to you. my like, family watchdog. call me the the, the, the train geek, uh, <laughs> if that makes sense. And uh, um, it's not because I have a fascination with trains, but I just do have a passion for trains and commuters uh, and you, uh, give rights. You credit for pr- breaking the strike. Well done. Well, I'd like to say what else did you? You're refo- uh, a referee as well, I think you were saying earlier. Yes, yes. So I'm a, a qualified football referee, um, semi-professional. Um, so you won't see me gracing the turf of the Premier League um, yet. Uh, yet. Well, not at my age at all. Um, but um, what I love about that is the fitness side of it. Um, but I also like the fact that I 
concentrate on adults, yeah. um, predominantly males, but um, do enjoy the ladies' game as well because it's a very, very different game. Imagine. Um, you know, far more, um, you know, far less aggressive. You say, is it more polite? Yeah. A little bit more polite, um, far more technical as well. And we all know what's going on currently. You know, yeah. the, the, the women's game is really right. rising up, Massive. you know. Um, but trust me, I think that it's it's so different to what I do now. But what I have at work, I bring to the pitch. And what I have on the pitch, I bring to work. The ability to control 22 grown men yeah. um, and stop, you know, World War Three breaking out, yeah. etc. And you know what? Refereeing is just about communication. You good? Are you fair referee? Well, if you could name a referee in terms of style, yeah, um, got one. We've got a hero, referee, yeah, hero. Yeah. Well, I'll keep that back for the end. <laughs> um, but um, do you know what? Someone like, believe it or not, someone like Graham Pole, who everybody, yeah. not Graham Pole, who was the one who's just retired, um, the Liverpool chap, Mike um, Dean. Mike Dean. Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, he got slated for his, you know, his dramatization and things like that. But and he was an easy one to pick on from a press perspective. Mm. But trust me, as a fellow referee, he got the major decisions pretty yeah. much always nailed on, um, and actually. Actually, do you know what? I think the players, if you talk to the players, and they're the people that really important sort of thing, you know, he was very, very highly regarded. It was the press that whipped him up. And also, um, you know, I mean, you've got VAR now, you've got technology yeah. now. A lot of times you didn't have that. And it was literally on the spur of the moment, yeah. instant decisions. Yeah. You're not going to get them all right. Yeah. Well, no. And it, it also as well, the thing that really impresses me is that if you look even at the latest referees who have retired at the end of last season, the level of fitness to keep up with players like Timo Werner, from, yeah. from Chelsea who are like lightning quick yeah. and the fact that they can keep up with play and the speed of thought because the be the best comparison I can make is that the referees have got got to keep the fitness up but also not being funny but a lot of the footballers haven't got to think yeah. in the same way Good as job. a ref has or, a, or, a, or yeah. somebody running the line has to so it's really fitness is uh, fitness is essential I, I, I promise you one thing if you're on the field of play and you're giving a penalty and you're on the halfway line okay you've, you're going to have a hell of a decision to, to think yeah. mm. if I'm giving a penalty and I'm five yards away from the incident okay they'll look at me they'll scream they'll shout yeah. and whatever but do you know what nine times out of ten they'll yeah. accept the decision more because whether you like it or not A I'm not changing my mind and B I'm up with play I yeah. think I'd be a rubbish referee because I'd be giving penalties from the bar you know, <laughs> through, through binoculars <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> uh, and Brighton. Last question: Brighton for the top four this season? Uh, no, not no. top four, but four. Um, it, oh, let's hope not. No, um, I've been a season to get hold of at the Albion now for. Well, I've, I've been a fan since '85. Uh, season to get hold of for some twenty-five odd years. Mm. Uh, boys, my both my boys are season to get holders. We're running a crest of a wave at the moment. Mm. We're a club that's uh, got a plan um, and doing it the right way, rather than sort of a British-owned club. Um, I'm enjoying the ride, um, but what I will say is that um, I think that if we can finish similar to last season, that yeah, will be that. massively yeah. successful. Um, and actually, I think we're too 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 uh, uh, too early for Europe yet. So a top half finish, and I'd yeah, be the happiest uh, well, fan. So in the we'll, world. we'll have you back next season and we'll find out how that's that prediction went. Right, last question, Peter. As we said, dinner party. Yeah. Okay. The London, the LM Experience yeah. dinner party. You're allowed to bring four guests: two living, two dead. Yeah. Who've you got? Who's coming? Okay, so who's coming? Well, I love my politics. I love yeah. my history, um, and I think you'll probably see. So I'm going to really make this a very political-based party, uh, but we're going to have a little twist in there. So my two guests who are no longer with us would be my all-time hero, Winston Churchill. Yeah, okay, okay. Good one. Um, and Margaret Thatcher. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting okay. one. Right. Um, and my two guests are alive. We're going to bring Bojo. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, now, but with these three guests, because we think there's going to be some pretty much explosions there's here. fireworks there. Yep. Uh, we're going to go left field and we're going to bring in Pierre-Luigi Colina, ah, one of the, the world's referee. famous yeah, referees. Yeah. Okay. Because I think those three are going to need to be kept strong, in order. Strong you know? management. Strong um, management. And absolutely. And I tell you what, he can just outstare any of those. You won't be saying <laughs> a lot. No. Party, so I'm going to just, just be watching <laughs> and observing, uh, learning from the best. Yeah. Um, but actually, um, seeing Bojo get a good grilling from yeah. two absolute stalwarts, Some giants, if that makes sense. So brilliant. What a great uh, but it will be, um, it will be certainly different. Absolutely. Well, uh, this, this podcast was different. Thanks very much for coming on, Peter. It's been brilliant listening to you talk and tell us about Investec. Um, a little glimpse into uh, into uh, that high net worth market, which I don't think we've had before. No, and I think as well, it's going to help brokers as well widen their horizons Absolutely. when they're looking at finding solutions for clients as well good thank brilliant. you brilliant that's great well thank you all for coming this morning so that was episode 65 of the lm experience if you'd like to come on a future episode you can contact us via our twitter feed which is at the lm experience uh, we record monthly so get in contact with us and we'll hopefully have you on a future episode brilliant thanks peter thanks Stu. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party, and your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it.